And now please turn in your Bibles to the book of Leviticus chapter 3. You can find this on page 112 if you're using the Pew Bible. And I will be reading out of the New King James Version this morning, which is the same translation you have there in the Pew. Uh, We were talking about the fact that the first seven chapters of the book of Leviticus, sometimes called the Manual of Offerings, describes the five different offerings that the people were uh, to give to the Lord. And we're seeing how uh, each one of these offerings gives us a different aspect of the work of Christ on our behalf. Uh, It's it's interesting, one commentator says there's one sacrifice, uh, that is the sacrifice of Christ. And all that we're seeing is sort of different angles on what that one sacrifice accomplishes for us. And so as we've looked at the burnt offering and the grain offering, now we'll look at what's called the peace offering. And I'm actually going to read from chapter 3 here uh, down to verse 11. And then we'll flip over to chapter 7, where um, after going through these five offerings, then in chapter 6 and 7, there's additional instructions given for the priests. And there's something relevant there that we want to touch on in a few verses of chapter 7. Let's listen now. This is God's word. When his offering is a sacrifice of a peace offering, if he offers it of the herd, whether male or female, he shall offer it without blemish before the Lord. And he shall lay his hand on the head of his offering and kill it at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And Aaron's sons, the priests, shall sprinkle the blood all around on the altar. Then he shall offer from the sacrifice of the peace offering an offering made by fire to the Lord. The fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails, the two kidneys and the fat that is on them by the flanks and the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys, he shall remove. And Aaron's sons shall burn it on the altar upon the burnt sacrifice, which is on the wood that is on the fire, as an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. If his offering as a sacrifice of a peace offering to the Lord is of the flock, whether male or female, he shall offer it without blemish. If he offers a lamb as his offering, then he shall offer it before the Lord, and he shall lay his hand on the head of his offering and kill it before the tabernacle of meeting. And Aaron's sons shall sprinkle its blood all around on the altar." Then he shall offer from the sacrifice of the peace offering as an offering made by fire to the Lord its fat and the whole fat tail, which he shall remove close to the backbone and the fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails, the two kidneys and the fat that is on them by the flanks and the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys, he shall remove and the priest shall burn them on the altar as food for an offering made by fire to the Lord. And then if you turn over to chapter 7, I'll read beginning at verse 11. This is on page 117. This is the law of the sacrifice of peace offerings, which he shall offer to the Lord. If he offers it for a thanksgiving, then he shall offer with with the sacrifice of thanksgiving unleavened cakes mixed with oil, unleavened wafers anointed with oil, or cakes of blended flour mixed with oil. Besides the cakes as his offering, he shall offer leavened bread with the sacrifice of thanksgiving of his peace offering. And from it, he shall offer one cake from each offering as a heave offering to the Lord. It shall belong to the priest who sprinkles the blood of the peace offering. 
the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offering for thanksgiving shall be eaten the same day it is offered. He shall not leave any of it until morning, but if the sacrifice of his offering is a vow or a voluntary offering, it shall be eaten the same day that he offers his sacrifice, but on the next day, the remainder of it may be eaten. The remainder of the flesh of the sacrifice on the third day must be burned with fire. And if any of the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offering is eaten at all on the third day, it shall not be accepted, nor shall it be imputed to him. It shall be an abomination to him who offers it, and the person who eats of it shall bear guilt. And there will end the reading of God's word. May he bless his word to us as we consider it together this morning. Well, our family is very feeling very blessed because uh, for Amy and me, we have all of our kids and our sons-in-laws with us uh, for just a brief time. And as I'm sure is the case in your households, when uh, your extended family gets together, a lot of effort uh, g- goes into eating, uh, planning meals, and um, and uh, organizing who, what the menu is going to be, shopping and bringing the right ingredients, and then uh, people cooking and making, eating, fellowship at the table, cleaning up. It's a huge focus of what we do when we get together to celebrate with our relatives. And uh, we understand sort of intuitively that uh, the meal is about much more than just getting food to keep us alive. Right, that, that, that there's something far more significant going on. In some ways, it pictures for us all the blessings of belonging to a family and being part uh, of a group that loves one another. And so you have fellowship, you have thanksgiving, you have joy, you have love. All of these things are involved. And, and we would say that's the ideal. Because we know that in reality... Uh, there are people who are going to be alone uh, celebrating the holidays this time of year, and they're not going to be uh, surrounded by loved ones. There are other people uh, who are going to have loved ones come in, and then there's going to be unbelievable tension and, uh, and uh, disagreements over politics or whatever, and, uh, and so it's not going to be a joyful a wonderful celebration. It's going to be painful warfare that's going on uh, instead. Uh, sometimes uh, families are going to be gathering now and they're going to be recognizing there are uh, valued members of the family who are not there anymore uh, because uh, as time marches on and the older members of our family uh, pass into the next life, uh, we realize that our fellowship in this life is limited because death takes people away. And uh, we also, uh, I find this myself, even as we're in the midst of this, in the back of my mind thinking, this is going too quickly. This passes too quickly. And everyone will have to scatter again. And these moments are not as frequent as we would like them to be. Well, we have in our passage a wonderful picture of a type of fellowship and family belonging that is eternal, and it transcends uh, our, our relationships in this life, and it overwhelms and overcomes all the limitations and the difficulties we often find in our lives in this world. 
And principally, that's because it shows us that one of the things Jesus does for us in his work is he purchases peace with God for us, and he makes us members of God's eternal family. And that's the point I want us to see as we look at the passage this morning. The work of Jesus Christ gives you peace with the living God and access to all his blessings. So therefore then it calls us to rejoice in Christ who is our peace. And children, if you're drawing a picture for me today, if you could draw a picture of your family uh, getting together to eat a special meal, that would be great. And some of you little ones uh, told me uh, that you were gonna be eating ham, but uh, whatever it is, uh, eggs, whatever it is, you can uh, draw your picture sausage and pancakes of you and your family. And listen as we go through this lesson uh, to see what the passage shows us about our Lord Jesus. Well, there is an outline in the bulletin if you'd like to follow along. The first thing I want us to notice is that peace with the living God is really possible. Our text begins in verse uh, one of chapter three, when his offering is a sacrifice of a peace Offering. So this again speaks of these voluntary offerings that a person could bring uh, at his discretion. And we'll talk later about the reasons one would bring a peace offering. But one of the things is clear is, 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 a, is a worshiper is coming to celebrate this gift of peace that comes from God. And the, the word that's translated peace offering here is actually derived from the word shalom. Uh, which is an important Hebrew word for peace. And it's very different in some ways from the way we think about peace because we often think about peace as the absence of hostilities. Uh, I read somewhere over the weekend that uh, Vladimir Putin is considering, you know, seeking a ceasefire in Ukraine, trying to figure out how they can uh, end the conflict maybe. Uh, with, with certain Soviet or Russian gains in place. And so you might say, well, um, uh, we have peace when we stop bombing each other and we stop trying to kill each other. But of course, uh, Ukraine is destroyed, right? The, the, the infrastructure, the buildings, uh, it's just been decimated. And so in, in terms of thinking about shalom, you wouldn't have shalom, it wouldn't be just that you stopped fighting, it would be everything rebuilt, everything put back right, everything restored that is wrong. And you realize how difficult that is, but that's what's in view in that Hebrew word is this, this full-on uh, completion of blessing that involves all of our lives. It's, it has the, the sense of fullness and completeness. And that's one reason why the different English translations uh, have different words for this. The NIV calls this the fellowship offering. Uh, the, the Greek version of the Old Testament calls this the offering of salvation. Uh, one, of the one of the commentators calls this a sacrifice of prosperities. That's how John Calvin interpreted those verses. And uh, it is getting at this idea that this is all of the blessing that we have from being God's people. And we recognize what a radical concept it is that we could have true and genuine peace like that in our world. Uh, we, we look around the world and we see all, so much bloodshed and conflict, not only in Russia, uh, in Ukraine, but in uh, Israel 
and in Gaza, in China, in Taiwan. There's civil war going on in Sudan and Yemen and all over the world. We look, we see people fighting, people killing each other. There doesn't seem to be any kind of lasting peace anywhere. Country fights against country. People within countries, as we're experiencing in our own uh, situation here, are often at odds with one another. Um, you look at the, the, the natural disasters that we have in our world and we're reminded even seems that the planet is fighting against us. Oftentimes there's no settled peace anywhere. And so I think the idea that we could have peace is radical, but the idea that we could have peace with God is even more so. Uh, certainly some people wouldn't believe there was a God that we could have peace with in the first place. And others would believe there is a God, but he's so far away from us we could never know him. Um, you may have your theology right, but be aware of your own uh, sin and the things that you struggle with and think, uh, how could I ever have peace with a holy God? Or you might look at your life and see, look at all this, the challenges and the struggles I have in my life. It sure doesn't feel like I have peace with God right now. And yet the simple uh, existence of this offering is meant to remind you that God promises a peace that transcends the world is available uh, through the Lord Jesus Christ. So we recognize that peace with God is really possible. But secondly, we see in these offerings that it's only possible through the atoning work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So as we discuss with the children, the burnt offering pictured uh, the, the whole sacrifice being consumed in the flames and given over to God. And Jesus was consumed and experienced God's wrath for us so that we could know God. The grain offering shows us the fruit of our labors given over to God are sanctified by the Lord Jesus and his work and allow us then to serve God faithfully. And so the peace offering is also showing us what Jesus Christ does for us. And notice some of the things that are described here. So it talks about bringing either a male or a female. Uh, so this was, there was more freedom here so that they could bring animals. They weren't going to destroy their breeding stock. They could bring whichever um, was, was better for them. But it says in verse uh, one there that it had to be an animal without blemish. It had to be a perfect animal, one that would not otherwise uh, be destroyed. Uh, so it was a given over to the Lord a perfect animal without blemish. And then secondly, we see what we've saw, seen before in, in verse two, that the worshiper needed to lay his hand on the head of the animal. And we said before, that word really means lean. It's a picture of faith. It's a picture of trusting in this animal is going to die in my place. Uh, and often we know from other uh, descriptions of the sacrifices that there would be a confession of sin that would happen in this part and the sins of the person are being transferred to the animal and then God is punishing the animal. The animal's life is being given in place of the worshiper so we can come before the Lord. But then listen in verse five to what happens to the animal. It doesn't all describe here it would be cut up. We'll talk more about the, the fat part in a minute. But it says in verse five, Aaron's son shall burn it on the altar upon the burnt sacrifice. And we touched on this a little bit last week but here's the idea that every morning, morning and evening, 
there was a lamb burnt for the whole community. So God could not dwell in their midst apart from this whole burnt offering given every morning and every, uh, every evening. And so the idea was there is a continual sacrifice always burning on that altar at all times. The first one that went on in the morning was the whole burnt offering for the whole people. So any worshiper coming later in the day is putting his personal or his family's offering on top of that work. And that is again to remind us, it is the work of Christ taking the wrath of God upon himself that allows us then to come as those who are at peace with God and to worship him in this way. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And the New Testament picks this up in a number of places. I've just given you a couple of examples. In 1 Peter 1, verses 18 and 19, where Peter says, you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish or spot, that Jesus is that spotless lamb. Or Romans 5, 1, speaking more particularly about the peace, says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the idea. He is the way in a, for us to have a relationship, fellowship, peace with God. And verse five of our text calls that a sweet aroma to the Lord as what's put there on the altar burns and it goes up to heaven. And again, we didn't say that necessarily a pile of burning fat would smell really good, but that God accepts that. And that's the, that's the imagery there. He accepts that as a gift and he is pleased with the worshiper. And that's the thing that gives confidence to the worshiper that God has accepted him. Now it was a big deal in the Bible that people could only do this, what's described in one place, uh, once the tabernacle had been set up. You weren't allowed just to go do, uh, burn your animal wherever you wanted to. In fact, that was a major problem that God was uh, dealing with in their ranks for years, is that they wouldn't just go to this one place where they were supposed to do their offerings. They felt like they should be able to do it however they wanted. But the whole purpose for God requiring the sacrifice to be done one way in one place is because there's only one way to God. There aren't many ways that we can all just decide which one fits us best. There's only one way, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And God from the very beginning was making that clear. You can only come to me through this one sacrifice. And we understand that it is Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone that can give you peace with God. You can't get it through your diet plan, you can't get it through yoga, you can't get it through your exercise routine, your friends, your job, your family, anywhere else. You can only get it through the Lord Jesus Christ. And that really does challenge us to consider, am I living at peace with God? Have I put my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? And do I know him? as my Savior and Lord. Jesus himself said it this way in John 14, verse 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. 
This is why Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. He comes to give you something that the world cannot give you. Well, thirdly, we see here that peace with God allows you to have intimate fellowship with him. So we can learn a lot about the nature of this peace when we understand what happens in this sacrifice. And I'm not going to spend a ton of time dissecting this, but we read it, and you can go back and look in in chapter 3 and chapter 7 to see what's going on here. But as the worshiper brings the offering, right, the, the, the animal and what we have described here in chapter 3 is a lamb or a sheep. And, uh, and so the, the animal is cut up and there is part of the animal which is given uh, to the priest. And uh, that's really elaborated on more in chapter 7, even beyond what I read for you there. So part of it is actually eaten uh, by the priest. Part of it, and as we described it here, the fat part is burned up on the altar. And then part of it is eaten by the worshiper. So this offering is completely unique among all the offerings because this is the only one where the worshiper comes and gets to eat part of it uh, himself. So let's think about what this is trying to teach us. So in the first place, these sheep are, 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 are uh, sacrificed. The worshiper would have to cut the throat of the sheep. And then uh, the blood is splattered on the altar. And then with the priest's help, the sheep is cut up. But all the fat parts are being removed. And we might say, well, what, what is that all about? Are these tips for health? Uh, this is uh, the Lord's way of helping us be healthy. We don't eat the fat. Well, the fat and the blood represents the life of the animal. And actually, in an Eastern culture, the fat represented the best part of the animal. I realize that sounds gross to you. But you realize, and I experienced this when I traveled in China, where you get a bowl of rice, and then there may be some common dish that you're uh, bringing out of. You put stuff into the rice. And so something with fat on it would have, uh, would have flavor and, uh, and moisture. Uh, that would go into what you were eating. And uh, I've read food critics describing um, this, uh, this piece of fat as a hidden gem uh, in the bowl of rice. Um, so understand, that's the idea. So the fat part is put aside, and that's the part that's burnt. But look at what it says like um, in verse 11, where it says, the priest shall burn them on the altar as food. So who's eating the fat? Well, the idea is we're giving the best part to the guest of honor, which is God. Not because God's literally eating it, but because we're, we're representing here, God is the author of this feast, but he's also a participant. He's at this table with us. This is God's part. And then they would take part and give it to the priests. And it, again, from what we read in chapter 7, also there, was, there were um, to be some bread given as well, and the priests would wave the bread, uh, my translation called that a heave offering, symbolically giving that to the Lord, and then the priests would eat that. So there's bread and there's meat. The priests are given some to eat. Some is given over to God to eat. And then as we read about in chapter 7, the worshiper himself is to eat. And when we read there, we had instructions saying specifically, uh, you must eat it the first day. And uh, for a Thanksgiving offering, you can't eat any of it on the second day. You have to finish it on the first day. For a vow offering, you could wait to the second day, and then you could eat it on the second day, but on the third day, you could not eat it. And anyone who did eat it 
right? This whole procedure would end up being a judgment on the person, not a blessing. So God was very serious about this. And we might be thinking, well, again, God cares about our health, and after a couple of days, the meat's going to start to spoil. And so this is why God puts this provision in here. Uh, that would be wrong, by the way, to assume that's why God put this in there. They had ways of salting down their meat. They could have kept the meat longer. But God had a very clear purpose for this. And that was that if you had uh, a, a sheep, and these are fat-tailed sheep that are being described here, several, a couple hundred pounds uh, to uh, upwards of three, four hundred pounds. And, and you're going to kill that, and you're going to give some to the priest, but most of it you have to eat in one day. What's going to happen? You are going to invite everyone in your family to join you. You're not planning on just wasting all of this meat. And most likely, you're going to have to eat right there in the courts of the tabernacle or in the temple. You, you don't have time to take this all the way home if you've come to Jerusalem for some, from some distance. So this is God setting up a situation where when you come to celebrate peace with him, you are eating a meal with your loved ones, your friends, your extended family, in the courts of the Lord, with the Lord's people, with God himself, as a participant in the meal. And the reason for that is to remind you that peace with God means you're a part of God's family. You have fellowship with God and his people. And recognize, this is one of the things we, we celebrate in Christmas, right? Is that Christ came into the world to have fellowship with us and to draw us into the family of God, that we're members of the family eating in fellowship with him. I suppose the, the closest thing we have to this is a hog roast where the whole animal's cooked at once, right? And uh, so this is the hog roast without refrigeration afterwards. And I don't, I don't know anyone who does a hog roast with just uh, two or three people, right? This is an opportunity to get as many people as you can together. You see that? God wants us to celebrate peace with him in such a blessed way. Peace means fellowship, being a part of God's family. Fourthly, peace with God gives you access to all the Lord's blessing. And this is the idea because if you're part of his family, then you are a recipient of all the blessings that that entails. I put a cross-reference in your outline from 1 Corinthians 10. And this is interesting because here Paul connects the celebration of the Lord's Supper with the sacrifices. And uh, I haven't made those connections explicitly here, but we do it often when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. That this, this covenant meal that's being described here, uh, the New Testament version of this, I think, is the Lord's Supper that we celebrate as a church. But Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10, 16, the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we though many are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. Observe Israel after the flesh. Are not those who eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? And obviously that last part is a rhetorical question. The expected answer is yes, of course. Those who ate of the sacrifices 
were partakers of the altar, which means that they were the recipients of all the blessings that were represented in that altar. They were the recipients of forgiveness of sin, of the wrath of God turned away from them, of God's gracious presence and love for them. All that's represented there was, uh, was a gift to them uh, through their participation in the altar. And I think very much Paul's saying that this is what's going on in the Lord's Supper. That when we come together and eat this covenant meal together, we are remembering that we are the beneficiaries of all that it means to be in God's family, and that affects every aspect of our lives. The Shorter Catechism describes adoption, right, our being brought into God's family this way. It says, adoption is an act of God's free grace, whereby we are received into the number and we have a right to all the privileges of the sons of God. Being in God's family has privileges. And if you look at the Shorter Catechism, the next several questions list some of the privileges which we have as those who are in God's family. And those things include assurance of God's love, peace of conscience, joy in the Holy Spirit, increase of grace, perseverance to the end, perfect holiness upon our death, perfection in body and soul when Christ comes again, and an eternity of enjoying God forever. Those are all yours by virtue of being in the family of God. Jesus Christ accomplished that for you. And by bringing you into the family, you experience all of that. And that's what's pictured in this covenant meal that's being described here. I prayed about this earlier in the service, but on Friday, uh, our friend Sean Salyers, who was a member here when he was in graduate school, uh, posted uh, basically that the doctors have told him they think he should stop treatment, that the side effects of the treatment are outweighing any potential benefits. So the brain tumor that he's been battling now for uh, a number of years um, is just going to be let go. And, and Sean wrote uh, in his post, uh, I don't want to leave. Uh, he has a six-month-old daughter and a son that's a couple of years old. He's 42 years old. I don't want to leave, but I trust that this is part of God's plan, and I know he can heal me, but if he doesn't heal me, I know that I will see Jesus face to face sooner than I had thought. And um, that kind of peace that can help us through those situations, that help us see what's going on beyond our life in this world, that is a gift of God that only comes from Jesus Christ and from being brought into the family of God through the mercies of Jesus Christ. And in your heavenly father, you have a father that can actually make you holy, a father who, can, who knows exactly what's going on, on in your heart and can meet your every need. And he says through this covenant meal, 
through the Lord Jesus Christ. You are a part of my eternal family. So then finally, we see that we have here an encouragement to celebrate Jesus, who is your peace. Do that now during this season of the year, but do it always. You know, when we talk about a peace offering, we think in terms of something we give to make things right. Um, this is the, uh, the husband uh, going to buy flowers to try to pacify his wife's wrath. Uh, that's what we call a peace offering. Uh, be careful if you do that. Uh, you better know your wife really well because that does not work uh, in some cases. I I'm not speaking from personal <laughs> This is It's all theoretical. Um, but it's very different how the usage is here because here the idea is celebrating the comprehensive blessings of God. It's not trying to get the blessings of God. It's recognizing them and celebrating them. And uh, I touched over this lightly when we read from chapter 7, but if you look back there, there were several different types of peace offerings. So you could give a Thanksgiving offering which would be you're coming thanking God for an answer to prayer. Uh, a healthy child has been born. Uh, God's provided a new job. Uh, we've, uh, my loved one's been healed of an illness. Something that we have prayed for and we come and recognize God's deliverance. Or it could be a votive offering in response to a vow. All right, Jacob says, Lord, if you bring me back in one piece, I will worship you. I will give you a tenth of everything. You know, there's, there's a vow that's made. Uh, God, if you help me to complete this, uh, I, will, I will worship you in this particular way. Or there's what was called a free will, a voluntary offering, which seems to be more of a spontaneous expression of thanks and praise for some totally unexpected blessing uh, that you, hadn't, you weren't even expecting. Oh, uh, my loved one came to visit me. I, I hadn't seen him or her for years, and this was a great surprise. Or my boss suddenly gave me a raise, not something that I was even looking for, and we thank God for it. Uh, but the idea is that we think about how God is working in our lives, and we respond to that in gratitude. And I think there is some relevance to what uh, we do today, that uh, one way we do this is we, we give generously to the work of the Lord. We, we celebrate his goodness to us in supporting his work in the world. Uh, we worship joyfully uh, when we come into his presence. And the New Testament, again, picks up this language, Hebrews 13, 15. I know we've looked at this before, but there we're told, uh, therefore by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. And see, this is describing your worship as a thank offering, coming to give God uh, your gratitude. And there's also, of course, the idea of serving God gratefully. And Paul uses the language of the thank offering in Romans 12, verse 1. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. You're a living thank offering. Your life is to be an expression of your gratitude to the Lord. And I think it encourages us, right, not only this time of year, but all the time, to think about what it means to be in God's family and then to respond with thanksgiving for that. We recently had some friends over who were 
telling us they'd met a young woman who had spent some time in North Korea. You can believe it. Her family went to North Korea for three years and was able to get in uh, because they, they, uh, they offered to teach the locals uh, how to raise goats. Uh, so these guys were, were goat farmers. And uh, they, had to, they had to provide for all of their own needs while they were there. But they were Christians, and they, they wanted to get into this closed country and share the gospel. And so for three years, they were sharing the gospel with locals in the villages around them. And uh, they said the average survival time for a North Korean who converted to Christ was three months. And almost all of them were shot, public execution in the village because some neighbor would turn you in if they perceived that you were pregnant. How the Americans managed to last three years, I don't know. God's grace. But you would think, well, that's a kind of a hopeless situation to be ministering in. That is not the way they looked at it. Peace with God. Peace with God through Jesus Christ is worth more than anything you could have in this life. And these people were willing, gratefully, to come into the arms of Christ knowing it meant that they weren't going to last in this life. But what a promise we have. We become a part of God's eternal family. And so however you celebrate, if you're gathered around with your family, or if you're just alone, uh, remember, you're not alone. Uh, If you have Jesus Christ, you have peace with God, and you're part of his family. You're part of an eternal family. And that's uh, where your joy and your gratitude comes from. Jesus is your peace. And with Jesus, you have a presence in God's family and all the blessings that come with it. So rejoice in Christ, your your peace. And may you know his peace uh, during this time of year. Well, let's pray and give him thanks. Lord, we marvel at how these rituals, which seem so obscure uh, when we first read them, actually show us these wonderful aspects of the work of Christ and how we thank you that Jesus' work on our behalf makes us your children, brings us into your family, gives us a right to all the privileges that uh, we have as children of God. We thank you that these are eternal privileges We thank you for the faith of uh, our brothers and sisters around the world who who trust and love you despite tremendous opposition. And we pray, Lord, that we uh, would have a like precious faith in Christ, that we would know the joy of being at peace with the Lord of the universe. And we pray that you would help us to grow in our understanding of that, our, our appreciation of it, and our joy in the Lord. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's uh, respond now back to the Lord in song. We're going to sing from Psalm 116, selection B. And Psalm 116 speaks about, uh, speaks about this offering. Uh, I still believe, though I said, how sorely tried am I. 
so he's uh, concerned. Uh, he says, all men are but a lie. What can I render to the Lord? What shall my offering be for all his gracious benefits that he's given me? So he, sings, he, he speaks about lifting salvation's cup and calling on the Lord's name and fulfilling his vows. And um, that is the, the wonderful promise of the thank offering that we've described here. Stanza six, my gifts of thanks I'll offer you and on the Lord's name call. So we have peace with the Lord through Christ. And let's stand and we'll celebrate that by singing Psalm 116b. <laughs>